0: welcome you to this broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. As we begin this new year, we invite you to hear Dr. Cairns as he continues a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that focus on the Savior Himself as revealed in His teaching and miracles, His atoning death on the cross, at His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C. H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Our text for this morning is found in the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 15 and verse 2. Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree, or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? These words are for the humbling of God's people. They are called God's vine. But what are they by nature more than others? They, by God's goodness, have become fruitful, having been planted in a good soil. The Lord hath trained them upon the walls of the sanctuary, and they bring forth fruit to His glory. But what are they without their God? What are they without the continual influence of the Spirit begetting fruitfulness in them? O believer! Learn to reject pride, seeing that thou hast no ground for it. Whatever thou art, thou hast nothing to make thee proud. The more thou hast, the more thou art in debt to God, and thou shouldst not be proud of that which renders thee a debtor. Consider thine origin, look back to what thou wast. Consider what thou wouldst have been but for divine grace. Look upon thyself as thou art now. Doth not thy conscience reproach thee? Do not thy thousand wanderings stand before thee, and tell thee that thou art unworthy to be called his son? And if he made thee anything, art thou not taught thereby that it is grace which hath made thee to differ? Great believer, thou wouldst have been a great sinner if God had not made thee to differ. O thou who art valiant for the truth, thou wouldst have been as valiant for error if grace had not laid hold upon thee. Therefore be not proud, though thou hast a large estate, a wide domain of grace. Thou hast not one single thing to call thine own, except thy sin and misery. O oh, strange infatuation! That thou, who hast borrowed everything, shouldst think of exalting thyself, a poor dependent pensioner upon the bounty of thy Saviour, one who hath a life which dies without fresh streams of life from Jesus, and yet proud— Fie on thee, O silly heart. Pastor A. W. Tozer was one of the spiritual giants of the twentieth century, a self-made scholar with an insatiable hunger for the deep things of God. He was known to often burn the midnight oil in his study, seeking a more profound experience of his Lord and Savior. His book, The Pursuit of God, is the result of long meditation and much prayer. It is not a collection of sermons. It does not deal with the pulpit and the pew, but with the soul athirst for God. Some of the chapter titles include Apprehending God, The Gaze of the Soul, and Meekness and Rest. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer complete reprints of this timeless devotional help free of charge. For your copy of The Pursuit of God, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your free copy of The Pursuit of God. Thank you. On today's edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of Christ as he brings the next portion of a message called Christ the Heart Specialist. In Matthew chapter 15, the Lord Jesus has once again encountered the Pharisees, who were finding fault with the disciples who failed to ceremonially wash their hands before eating. Christ met their criticism with a scathing denunciation much more severe than he had done previously. At the heart of the Pharisees' attack was an attempt to turn away souls from seeking the Lord Jesus. In this, they were willing tools of Satan and merited Christ's condemnation. As Dr. Cairn will point out, Christ did not condemn his disciples for failing to observe a religious ritual that was the invention of men. The lesson is that believers should not fear men's opinions but should live by God's word in the assurance that Christ is for his people. Now, Dr. Cairns continues this message, Christ the Heart Specialist.
1: Verses 1 to 3 tell us how the Pharisees came condemning the disciples in order to get at Christ. But when Jesus looks at this complaint... He takes the very opposite line, and indeed he finishes what he has to say. To eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. He would not condemn them. I have mentioned Alfred Edersheim. Edersheim believed, to me somewhat strangely, that Christ did not defend the actions of his disciples here. I think he did. According to Edersheim, it was a matter of indifference to Christ, whether people washed or whether they didn't wash. But given the background, given that this was just part of a whole rotten, devil-inspired traditionalism that blasphemed God, I don't think Christ was in the slightest bit indifferent. Obviously, in itself, whether you sprinkle water in your hands before you eat or whether you don't is a matter of indifference. But this is not in itself. This is part of the tradition of the elders. certainly it was not a matter of little consequence to Christ when the Pharisees used what we may even call matters of indifference and tradition to condemn the people of God. To Christ they had crossed the line. And so he came to his disciples' defense and he showed that the tradition that condemned them was at its root just dead religion. I want you to get that. When a man's heart is right with God, when a sinner has been justified by grace through faith, when he has been accepted on the merits of Christ and washed in the blood of the Lamb, Then Jesus says to that one, as he said to the woman whom the Pharisees were also condemning and seeking to have him condemn, neither do I condemn thee. Man, what a comfort in a world that hates Christians. What a comfort in a day and an age when the devil is using everything, it seems, in the press, in the political world, in the judicial world, in the entertainment world, using all at his disposal to rise up and to malign and to condemn the people of God. The Son of God comes along and says, you're a believer in Christ, you're washed in my blood, you're redeemed by my grace, and I do not condemn you. What a comfort. And further than that, we can go and say, Let them curse, but bless thou. If I have to choose between the curse of men with the blessing of God and the blessing of men with the curse of God, it doesn't take me to have much brains to know where my choice lies. I will gladly say, Let them curse. Let them curse. What does it matter? I think sometimes we as Christians get far too worried about the opinions of the world. Far too worried. Now I'm going to tread on some tools here. This worries me particularly about Christian young people. Worries me that you're that spineless. Spineless. That you have to look the way some Drug infested, drunken, adulterous rock star wants you to look. I was young too. When I was young, we had our rock stars. Believe it or not, we had our rock stars. There was a way to dress. And if you were going to be with it, that's the way you dressed. Some of you will remember when Reggie Cranston, the minister from Port Hope, was here. He gave his testimony and he used some ulsterisms that people hadn't a clue about whatsoever. He talked about being dressed in drainpipes. And you never heard of those? It was the style of the pant leg, the trouser leg. He talked about uh, his teddy boy outfit. That again was the, especially the style of the pants and then of the coat. It was a special kind of tie you wore. This was the way to look like you were with it. And there was pressure. Everybody else was doing it. You know, I had no money. But if you had paid me a thousand pounds a day, I wouldn't have worn that stuff when the Beatles came along with their mop brush or their, you know, the mop hairstyle they had. Of course, they looked now like lawyers and businessmen compared to the. Well, we'll not get into the description of what we have today. But uh, when they came along, that's the way young people looked. Why would I worry? About looking like a bunch of rock stars who were so hellish and vile that their own anti Christian manager had to say, I am anti Christ. But these four fellows are so anti-Christ that they scare even me. Why would a Christian want to look like them, smell like them, or be with them? Tell me. I don't know. But there were spineless young people who did look like them. They listened to their music. And they got more spineless and they lost out with God now I'm going to be straight down the line with you I'm talking to young people but I'm talking to a whole lot more than young people some of the biggest idiots I see running around are middle aged people that have forgotten that they're not young people anymore I would laugh at these people that can't grow a a hair on the top of their head but they've a ponytail down to their waist still thinking that they're back in their hippie days listen What I'm saying to you is more than style. It's more than appearance. What I'm talking to you about is why on earth are Christians so worried about what the world thinks of them? Why are you so interested in having the world's approbation? I'm telling you now, if you are ever to amount to anything for God... If your life is ever going to count for eternity, if you're ever going to be a soul-winner, if you're ever going to be a servant, if you're ever going to be a prayer warrior, then the world is going to despise you and hate you. So what are you worried about? God give us backbone. How do you get it? Man, you see such beauty in Christ. You see such attractiveness in Christ. You see such glory in Christ that you say, that's what I want to live for. That's what I want to live for. Nothing else is worth living for. Don't be worried about what the world says. What you've got to be concerned about is what the Lord says. If you're living for him, he'll tell you, I don't condemn you. There's a comfort here. There's also a great and important truth for the disciples. He's saying to them clearly as he condemns the Pharisees, Live by the written word of God, not by the innovations of men. He's saying, in effect, I am your master. Follow me. I'll show you what the word of God requires of you. But through it all, remember the greatest truth. I am for you, and I'm not against you. Now, those disciples weren't perfect. Perfect. Are you perfect? Am I? No, no, I have seen an end of all perfection. We're not perfect, but the Lord is for us. The Lord is for us. And what I would love to see in this church this morning as the result of our looking at this is a rising up of a body of people young people, middle-aged people, old people, men, women, boys and girls, the rising up of a body of people like these disciples to commit themselves wholly and totally unto Christ, to be his disciples, his followers, to be those who are going to take their stand for him no matter what the cost may be. And they'll take the criticisms of the world. They'll take the antagonisms of the world. They'll get the vision that Christ is worth serving and they'll know he is for us. He is for us, and he's not against us. Are you saved today? Are you saved? Then wholeheartedly be a disciple. The church of Christ is is in urgent, urgent need of young men and young women wholly committed to the service of Jesus Christ. Careless of what the world may think or say. Sold out to serve the Savior. They have a backbone like a crowbar. They'll neither bend nor break. Why? Because they have their eyes on Jesus and they know he is for us and not against us. He knows the hearts of his people and he doesn't condemn them. But he also knows the hearts of hypocrites. Now let me rephrase that. He knows the hearts of those who lyingly profess to be God's people. And he does condemn them. As soon as the disciples were used to attack Christ by these these Pharisees, the Lord Jesus rounded on the Pharisees, and they started exposing them for what they were, hypocrites. What? The disciples came and said, Lord, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended at this saying? I'd love to have been there just to see this. i love to see a pompous, let me quote again, theological hitman suddenly punctured with one well-aimed arrow of divine truth. I can see these characters, they come along at first. They have a a supercilious sneer upon their face as they attack the Lord Jesus. I can see their jaw drop open so far and so fast that it nearly dislocated their kneecaps. They're aghast, for Christ had touched our raw nerve. You say you are the people of God. You profess to be his own people. And in support of that, you point to the fact that you put a little egg cup of water over your hands before you eat, and you have a heart as black as hell. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. That's what Jesus is saying. You come to tell me you're God's people because you do this and you do that and you do that and you do the other thing. I want to strip away all the veneer of the little things you say you do and I want to get under your skin and I want to look at your heart. When I look at your heart, what do I see? I see, a heart that's far from God Get what he's saying. You engage in the external rites of God's worship? He could have gone further. You read his word every day? You learn its words off by heart? You have many prayers that you recite? These are the things you do in themselves? To read the Bible, to say prayers, are not they good things in themselves, yes, unobjectionable, indeed virtuous, if, and this is the all-important thing, if they are the expression of a heart that's given to God. But when they are in place of a heart given to the Savior... They will damn you deeper than Tyre and Satan or Sodom and Gomorrah.
0: You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. one eight six four two four four two four zero eight. That's one eight six four two four four two four zero eight. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, dot fpcna.org that's www.fpcna.org this is charles kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we let the bible speak